welcome back to Spooky Shit after a really long break. I think it's been almost an entire year. Yeah, it's been a little too long, but we are back. Oh, we've had a lot going on in the past year, and we have been trying to get back into everything, and I decided that what's a better time than um, with what's going on in the media right now and one of the most prolific cases that we will probably see in our lifetime. And I really don't know anything about this, so I will be along on the journey with you guys. So we are going to do the Idaho 4 murders um, today, and what's nice is we've got some updates for you, even though, you know, the case hasn't gone to trial yet, we don't have autopsy reports or anything along those lines. Um, I've got like 47 pages worth of some truth, some speculation, talking about Facebook groups and all kinds of craziness, because um, I have a newborn, and this happened two weeks after he was born, and so... Those middle-of-the-night feedings, I fell down a rabbit hole, and I've been working on this for a hot minute. She texted me. She was like, we have to do this case. We have to start podcasting again. And I was like, okay, so here we are. Here we are. Um, We just want to say that listener discretion is advised. Um, I'm not planning on going super deep into detail. Like I said, we don't have autopsy reports or anything like that. But um, this is a quadruple murder um, with a knife. so definitely going to be a little gory at times. So just keep that in mind if you have kids listening with you or if you are somebody who's a little squeamish. Um, there will be talk about blood. Um, there's one mention of sexual assault. Um, but other than that, mostly just blood. <laughs> <laughs> just blood. All right. So in the early hours of November 13th, 2022, four University of Idaho students were fatally stabbed while they slept in an off-campus three-story rented home in Moscow, Idaho. Um, On December 30th, 2022, a suspect, 28-year-old Brian Christopher Koberger, was arrested in Monroe County, Pennsylvania, on four counts of murder in the first degree and a felony burglary charge. Um, The victims were Madison Mogan, 21, uh, Kaylee Goncalves, I think is how you say her last name, who was also 21, uh, Zanna Kernodal, who was 20, and then um, her boyfriend, Ethan Chapin, who wasn't a... Um, tenant of the house he was actually just there visiting her that night Aww. so yeah we're they're not also young they're really young like they're younger than i am i'm 23 that's crazy i mean i still kind of feel like i'm a teenager but i'm like i think we all do like almost 25 <laughs> and have a child and have been married for like four years and that's i still i'm like no i'm i am a child, <laughs> I am a child. <laughs> but no they're really young yes they are really sad Um, So I'm going to start off with just kind of like a brief timeline of what went on. Because like I said, this is an ongoing case. There's still things we haven't been told. um, But given the fact that this was such a brutal murder, um, there was a lot of speculation because the police weren't able to communicate a lot of what they were working on um, just due to, you know, not trying to compromise the investigation. Uh, They really want to make sure when they go to court that they can nail this person down without, you know, any complications or anything like that. Um, And I'm sure they have a lot. They're not you know, telling everyone right now as well. Just And, of course, we'll keep you guys updated as the case progresses. But Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, people were thinking for a while that they didn't have anything, that the case was going to go cold, that this person who murdered four, you know, young, beautiful people that had the whole rest of their lives ahead of them, um, that they were going to get away. And in reality, I think that the, you know, law enforcement community was doing a pretty good job and they just weren't able to release a lot of that information, which I know is frustrating um, to you know, family members to people watching. I know I even, you know, would wake up and check and look for updates and be like, oh my God, why why haven't I been told anything yet? Like I have some, you know, right. like they have some duty to tell me. They don't, obviously. I mean, we they, all want to know because that's just human, you yeah. know, nature is curiosity, but. Their main um, goal is to get the person who did it and to, you know. Exactly. So. We find out that 
they actually knew exactly what they were doing, even though we didn't. Which we didn't think so. Which doesn't happen very often in <laughs> these cases, so we're I'm proud of that police department. Yeah, good, good job. Yeah, <laughs> they did a good job. They called in the FBI um, and you know oh, wow. state police pretty quickly, and you know I, the Moscow Police Department still headed the investigation, um, but they had a lot of help from outside forces, which is exactly what they're supposed to do: is call in those resources. And it's a quadruple murder. I mean, yeah, that's a lot. That's insane. <laughs> that's a lot. I mean, one murder is insane. Don't get me wrong, but four. And for the guy to be on the run for seven weeks. Yes. All right. Well, November 12th, um, at around 9 p.m., Kernodal and Chapin were seen at a party at Chapin's fraternity, um, a short walk from the King Road apartment house where the roommates lived, according to investigators. Um, that night, Goncalves uploaded pictures to her Instagram account featuring photos of the friends with the caption, one lucky girl to be surrounded by these people every day, which I just kind of included that because it's just kind of ominous, you know? Yeah, that's sad. Um, at about 10 p.m., Goncalves and Mogan uh, go to the sports bar there in Moscow. Uh, it's called the Corner Club. I think they frequented it pretty, you know, pretty often. So that was kind of a normal thing for them. Gotcha. Um, on November 13th in the early morning hours, um, at about 1.30 a.m., Goncalves and Mogan are seen ordering food from a nearby food truck. Um, and this food truck actually had a live stream on Twitch. On so a food truck on Twitch? Yeah, I know I thought it was weird when I first saw it too, but I guess there's lots of places that do this. Um, yeah, there's just like a Twitch camera outside. Interesting. Outside the food truck. I mean, truck. it's college. I guess they can't really judge. Yeah, like people, <laughs> just, people tune in and watch people get their food, I guess. I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about it. Okay. All right. Um, investigators say that um, Zana and Ethan uh, returned to the three-level house on King Road at about 1.45 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Maddie and Kaylee... Uh, took a car home, uh, like a rideshare service. I'm not sure exactly which one, mm-hmm. um, but they got to the house about 1.56 a.m. Um, meanwhile, the two other housemates um, who had gone out that night arrived home before the others at about 1 a.m. Um, so there are two other housemates that were there and present at the time of the murders, um, but they survived. Um, they actually didn't... Um, even really encounter the killer one didn't at all and one did very briefly how um, do you sleep through or not realize that four of your friends living in the same house are getting brutally murdered yeah so that facebook group i'm a part of that's been one of the biggest things and we'll go through a lot of theories um and what is speculation and what has been proven true and not true mm-hmm. um but that's been one of the main points of conversation is how did these two girls um sleep through this incident or just you know kind of look past it but what i've seen a lot of people point out is they're they live in a college party house and i guess there were parties there all the time um so interesting okay yeah well we'll, we'll discuss that later <laughs> so at eleven fifty eight a.m um so a long time goes by a 911 call is placed on a cell phone of one of the other housemates so one of the um, surviving housemates requesting assistance for a quote unconscious person um, but, but like I said, both of those roommates weren't harmed and yeah, unconscious seems kind of, I don't know, police. Underwhelming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't think police were necessarily prepared for what they were going to walk up on right away. I don't think you can be prepared, but they were definitely ill-prepared just thinking they were responding to one unconscious person. Um, yeah. That's... So after that whole bit of chaos ensues, because, you know, I'm sure a lot of what was... Um, done at the house right after they responded was kind of kept under wraps so the next piece that i could find is that the police alerted the public about the deaths in a news release 
um, and they said that no one was in custody at that time, that they uh, they didn't believe that there was an ongoing threat to the community um, based off the information that they gathered. I don't know what that was at this point. So they're basically just saying that it's not a serial killer, but yeah. something. So oh, they came okay. out eventually saying that this was, or originally saying that this was like a targeted attack, um, a crime of passion, and that they think that it was specific to these housemates. They didn't release which one or why they thought that, but that they didn't think that anybody mm-hmm. else in the community was um, at risk. Interesting. Yes. So November 16th, um, there was still no suspect apprehended. Moscow police walked back their previous comments that there was no threat to the largely rural city of almost 26,000 residents. Uh, They said, quote, we do not have a suspect at this time and that individual is still out there. Moscow Police Chief James Fry said at a news conference, he added that the more than 25 investigators with the Idaho State Police and the FBI are assisting in the case. So he didn't really go out and be like, hey, you know. Watch yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but he kind of, you know, walked back that that first initial, oh, we, everyone's fine, like, no big deal. This is an isolated incident to, yeah, we still don't know who I, this is. He <laughs> probably should have waited to even say that when before you even catch what's going. Like, you, I get you have the information, kind of, of, from the surviving housemates or what was going on, but if you haven't caught the killer, you should not say you're safe or you're like, I don't know. Yeah. You can't make a recommendation either way. Well, and as you know, personally, I mean, I don't know. Cause I don't, you know, do anything like that. But personally, I wouldn't want to be responsible for saying that there wasn't a risk. And then something happened. Yeah. So like, I don't know. Um, I think they were probably just doing the best with what they had, but it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No, it doesn't. Not at all. Um, so on November 17th, so this is not quite four days after, and um, the preliminary autopsy results showed that the four victims were likely attacked with a large knife and died sometime after 2 a.m. from multiple stab wounds. Um, and that was done by the Lada County coroner, Kathy, I think her last name is Mabbitt. Um, and she described their wounds as pretty extensive. So if that happened, you said at 2 a.m. or like a little after 2 a.m.? Because so, they didn't get to the house till almost 2. So that was pretty quickly from when they got home so there's some discrepancies in time um and we get a little bit you know more narrowed down here at the end um okay. but originally okay the coroner said after 2 a.m oh so this is the initial autopsy. yes nothing okay yes. sorry okay that makes sense uh november 18th police say that the victims were most likely asleep when they were slain and some of them had defensive wounds um there was also no sign of sexual assault um, meanwhile, detectives seized the contents of three dumpsters near the home to search for possible evidence, and they contact local businesses to determine if a knife had recently been purchased. Okay. November 30th, a vigil is held at the University of Idaho in honor of the victims with some family members in attendance. Um, it says, quote, we're going to get to... We're going to get our justice, um, Stephen Kaylee's father said, adding that his daughter and Maddie had been best friends since the sixth grade, mm-hmm. and he had learned that they were in the same bed when they were killed. Um, they went to high school together, and then they started looking at colleges. They came here together. They eventually get into the same apartment together, he said, and in the end, they died together. That breaks my heart. Oh, yeah. my God. I watched uh, that. Like, I didn't watch it live because, um, you know, newborn things. You're right. But <laughs> I watched that re-recorded um, piece of it and that part like almost made me cry it was really sad well I wonder and it kind of makes you wonder how the family feels because if they were you know just having a sleepover like in the same bed or in the same room or whatever like would one of them have survived if the other wasn't mm-hmm. I think it's hard to not question those things like, as a parent 
Ugh. And I guess that they were they were really close. They went on family vacations together. Um, I even know later on, um, after they were cremated, uh, one well, both of their ashes were kept together at one family's house. Aww, that yeah. breaks my heart. I know, super sad. Um, on December first, Moscow police reaffirmed the quadruple homicide was part of a targeted attack after mm-hmm. authorities appeared to suggest the opposite. Um, so they're back and forth and back and forth on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that a lot of students, once they went home for the Thanksgiving um, break, they did not come back. They, I don't blame them. Yeah, they continued classes at home. Um, they said, we remain consistent in our belief that this was indeed a targeted attack, but have not concluded if the target was the residents or its occupants, a police spokesperson said. Um, the department also continues to dispel online rumors and speculation and says it has cleared mm-hmm. certain people seen interacting with Maddie and Kaylee on the evening they were killed. Police also say that the two housemates who were home during the attack had been sleeping that night. Oh. So online speculation, there is multiple. I mean, TikTok's covered in it. Reddit's covered in it. I know. I had um, to, like, stop myself from looking at this because I knew you were going to yeah. do this. So I was like, I need, to, I need to get all this knowledge from you. But, no, it was all over TikTok, and you tagged me in that Facebook page that oh. has all that information. I've been a part of this Facebook group, <laughs> I don't know, for a long time, since pretty close to the beginning of it. And there's, I don't even know, so many people. There's just literally an update, like, two hours ago. Yeah, so like, many people. <laughs> and, like, some of it's really good to read, and then others, you know, other parts of it just, like, I, my brain turns into mush because like it's just so outlandish and so stupid mm-hmm. or like people like don't even pay attention to anything and they just want to be there or trolls you know coming in to say you know shitty things and yeah, this is someone's like these are children this yeah. is someone's family so we gotta be respectful of that as yeah. well guys <laughs> so while i did enjoy reading some of it other parts of it i was like this is too much i did a lot of reading on reddit for the most part oh yeah um and then obviously went through some news sources and things mm-hmm. like that but you know that facebook group was interesting and <laughs> it's good if you need to waste some time but it's also like mind-boggling how yeah. how shallow just, some people can be yeah and, and just make sure when you are on something like that that you don't believe everything that's posted and to double check the facts you know if you're wanting more information about it just don't exactly just be careful there's so many people that take things at face value yes <laughs> and i think that's half the reason that group was so fucking ridiculous <laughs> yeah you can't do that all right. Well, on December 2nd, uh, the two surviving housemates, Bethany and Dylan, um, released letters saying that they are struggling to accept why the lives of four beautiful people were taken so brutally. So up until December 2nd, they hadn't spoken publicly. Um, I'm still not over the fact that she said it was an unconscious person when they called the police. So there's make... a lot of back and forth on that, too. Um, we'll find out later that it wasn't just Bethany and Dylan at the house when they called the police. Uh, I guess there was, and this isn't something I read on the Facebook group, too, and had to do some of my own, you know. Digging. Yes. Um, They had called friends, I think, or Ethan's brother, who also went to the same Mm. college. Ethan was one of triplets. Um, So they called his his, uh, brother, who was in the same fraternity and everything, to come over. So he, I, I know, was there. I think there's still not a lot released exactly of what happened that morning when, or that afternoon-ish, morning-ish when they called the police, but um, I know it wasn't just Dylan and Bethany there. Okay. All right. They said it wasn't, the call was made from one of their phones at least. Oh. Well, we'll get to that later, but that just still Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> um, on December 5th, detectives focus on Chapin and Kernodal, so Ethan and Zana's activities on the evening they were killed and asked the public for information about the nearly five hours from when the couple arrived at the fraternity party to the apartment house on King Road. Um, so there was some time in between there that they couldn't figure out what they were doing. Right. 
December 6th, uh, police say that they recognize how frustrating the lack of news can be for the families and the public, but they insist they do not want to jeopardize the case. Um, exactly. <laughs> we are at the point in the investigation where we're still gathering information, we're still gathering tips, we're still gathering evidence, we're still doing everything we need to do, Fry said in a video posted. <laughs> On December 7th, police begin removing personal items of the victims from the apartment house and returning them to families. Um, they also announce what appears to be an integral part of the investigation. They say they are looking to speak with any occupants of a white Hyundai Elantra from 2011 to 2013 with an unknown license plate. Uh, they do not say whether they believe the driver is linked to the killer, but they say that the person may have critical information. So at this point, they just thought it was just someone who may have saw something. Yes. Okay. On December 15th, Christy, Kaylee's mom, expressed frustration during an interview with NBC's Today show that um, she had only learned about the police interest in the Hyundai Elantra when the rest of the public did, um, underscoring how some victims' families feel left in the dark. So while I do know that they needed to keep things quiet for a reason, I, I would be frustrated too if, if I wasn't told first at least. Well, I was like, if you're going to announce it to the public, you can announce it to the families Absolutely. first. Absolutely. Just make the courtesy call. Yeah, just know. like, hey, just letting you know. This came up, so we're going to release it. But if you know anything, just let us know kind and of I know, thing. And I know, you know, tensions and emotions are high. And I think families oh, yeah. can get hurt really easily. But I, I would be upset about that, too. Yeah. I mean, that's that's my child. Like, you got to give me something. Literally. <laughs> Especially when you're you're waiting forever and you don't feel like they're getting anywhere. Right. Right. Um, on December 21st, Fry told NBC News that his department is in daily contact with families and that, quote, we ask them to be patient as the investigation progresses. The police chief again insists the investigation is not a cold case and our end goal is to bring somebody to justice for those families and for those victims. Okay. So they're on it. On December 30th, police announced an arrest of a suspect, Brian Christopher Koberger. He's 28 and a resident of Pullman, Washington. He was a doctoral student at Washington State University. Um, he was apprehended in northeastern Pennsylvania, about 2,500 miles from the Idaho campus, and cool. was charged with four counts of first-degree murder and burglary. Um, okay. Yeah. According to law enforcement officers, DNA evidence played a key role in linking the killings to Koberger. Um, at a news conference, Fry says he believes Koberger is the only suspect. Okay, so they found a piece of his DNA at the crime scene, and yes. that's how they caught this guy. Yes. Okay. Um, Fry said, what I can tell you is that we have an individual in custody who committed these horrible crimes, and I do believe our community is safe. Well, I mean, okay. On December 31st, the public defender of Monroe County, Pennsylvania, where Koberger is being held, um, says the suspect intends to waive his extradition hearing to face charges in Idaho. Um, he should be presumed innocent until proven otherwise, not mm -hmm. tried in the court of public opinion, Jason Labar says in a statement, adding, Mr. Koberger is eager to be exonerated of these charges and looks forward to resolving these matters as promptly as possible. Oh, I'm sure you are. On January 3rd, Koberger appeared in court and agreed to return to Idaho. On January 4th, Koberger was flown across the country in Pennsylvania um, in a state police plane and booked into the Lotta County, Idaho jail. Okay. On January 5th, Koberger made his first appearance in an Idaho court and was ordered um, to be held without bail. Um, another pretrial was set for January 12th. Okay, so basically he had to be extradited back to Idaho. Yes, so that takes some time. So And so he's currently, like, in jail while all this is going on, yes. while he's, his court hearings and all. Okay. Yes, and okay. then um, he ended up in, um, actually yesterday, he ended up back in Idaho. So, oh. 
Investigators say male DNA discovered on a knife sheath was used to link Koberger to the crime scene and that they had been tracking his car, a white Hyundai Elantra, and cell phone use in the area, according to newly released court documents. So, I mean, they pretty much, they got him pinpointed. Yeah, there was a lot that went into it, and I'm actually going to read the released affidavit for everybody, so that way we can see just exactly what happened. Um, But before that, I'm going to dive into some speculation, um, some rumors that had been floating around. Um, and what was confirmed and what has yeah, not been Because confirmed. honestly, a lot of this case, I mean, like, it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense. Especially the two roommates thing. Like, that, so I'm excited to see what other theories are about yes. that. You'll probably be a little angry at the end. I mean, we can't make everyone happy. It's true. <laughs> okay. Um, so, let's start with speculation. Okay. Um, and I'm defining speculation as claims that can't be traced back to a credible source and things that are confirmed as... Um, information that came from police statements or statements verified by family, friends, witnesses, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Um, so first let's start with some speculation. The first rumor is that the black coat Maddie was seen wearing the night before, um, they caught her on video at the bar, um, belonged to Jack D, which was her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, this comes from people believing that the jacket Maddie was wearing in the food truck video was way too big for her. But if you watch the whole video, you can see that she didn't have it straight at first. Um, so one side was hanging very low. The sleeves were also oversized, but it's been reported by many people that oversized clothing is, you know, in fashion and that, you know, a lot of people wear their coats like that. Yeah. Um, additionally, many people who live in the climate with severe cold weather, I mean, we know that we get cold weather um, in Kansas, uh, you buy your coats bigger to have room for bulky sweaters, layers, all of that. Um, so there's also... A photo that's been shared of Kaylee with Jack D wearing a black jacket and claimed that uh, that is one that is the one Maddie was wearing that night. However, Jack's jacket clearly has like a white logo on the right sleeve, um, elastic cuffs, and a zipper. And the coat Maddie was wearing did not have a logo on the sleeve, had buttons, um, and had open cuffs. Well, yeah, I mean, a black coat's a black coat. You can probably get one. I mean, yeah. So I can see why people thought that, but I think right. people are reading into a lot of things. And the reason that they thought that this was important was uh, the next rumor is that the black coat that Maddie was wearing was found in front of the victim's house after the murder. Um, but that's just speculation. Um, there was no evidence that backed that. Oh. Um, the next rumor is that Zana's father, Jeff, was at their house fixing locks just before the crime. So a lot of people had speculated that because... She, he was there fixing locks at one in the morning no not that night but like i guess a weekend or two before oh, like it. beforehand yeah okay so people were like well you know if he was there changing locks then xana must have been scared of somebody or something or something must have happened oh. um but there was a phone interview um where xana's mother told reporters that um yeah he was there one weekend um to fix locks um but she didn't know exactly when he was there or which locks he worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in a separate interview, her dad said that he or had never mentioned fixing or replacing any locks. Um, he did mention something about the doors on the outside locking with like code, like a number code. Mm-hmm. Since they had multiple people living there, there was just a code instead of like keys. Yeah. I mean, I can see what people would think that would mean she was, you know, nervous or feeling like someone's watching her or stalking her. But at the same time, like, I would just want my locks to be good to go no matter I mean, what. You know? I mean, yeah. I'm kind of a freak about that stuff. And if I had people coming in and out of the house consistently, yeah. like, especially a college, you know, party house would, I would feel the same way. Yeah. When you um, have multiple roommates, I mean, you don't know who they're bringing home or what's no. going on. So <laughs> I would want 
I mean, I would want the same thing. I want to make sure my locks are working. And But I also so. could see, you know, how people were like, oh, you know, she called her dad to come fix locks. Like, yeah. that's kind of sketchy. Yeah. Because I thought I mean, that at first, too, when I read it. Right. I, I like the perspective I have on this because I actually got to follow it from the start, which means I have these same, like, well, what about this? You know, what about this? And what about that thoughts? Right. And then I got to see it kind of come come to fruition. So I'm grateful that we're doing this at this time because I can kind of speak to the, well, why did why would somebody think that way? Because I thought yeah. that way. And I'm kind of on the opposite boat because I know nothing about yeah. the case. It's so a like, good perspective. Wait. Yes. <laughs> um, so another rumor was that the victim's property had been listed for rent already. The, that's obviously not the case. It's an active crime scene. Um, people were finding old listings on rental websites. And trying to make and something yes, of it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like pay the whole nine yards. So, no, it was Love not it. listed for rent. Um, when Kaylee asked in the video, um, there's a video that came out later of them walking down the street. I believe it's from the corner club to the grub truck or maybe it's the other way um you can hear audio of Kaylee asking Maddie what did you say to Adam and Maddie replies like I told Adam I'm pregnant on enhanced audio you can hear that Maddie actually replies like I told Adam everything oh and we don't know what the context of that is but people are like oh my god she's pregnant like what if you know this Mm -hmm. was to cover up all of this stuff or maybe somebody was cheating on somebody no right like some love thing but obviously I mean the autopsy results they probably would assess something oh, yeah. at this point if she was so no she was not, not um not that we know of obviously but right. um that's not what she said so. gotcha um there is a guy referred to as hoodie guy um he wasn't with Kaylee and Maddie at the food truck that night he was quote-unquote stalking them is what it says um it was basically just an interpretation of the people watching that twi- Twitch live stream, and they started paying attention to his body language and everything a lot closer. So they pinpointed this guy after watching these. Yes, so, it, it's okay. not. The police never came out and you know listed him as a suspect. Um, he actually, I guess, was there with them, talking to them. He was an acquaintance; they knew him. Um, he was not stalking them. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was also a rumor that Jack D, who is Kaylee's boyfriend, you'll hear quite a bit about him, um, cause he was suspected pretty heavily in this. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he was her ex-boyfriend, I guess. So Kaylee was going to go, she was graduating or set to graduate in December. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was going to move to Texas, I believe it was, to start a new job. Um, they shared a dog together. She just bought a new car. She was moving out of Idaho, obviously across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of speculation that since they had broken things off because they were going in different ways that Jack was jealous and was, like, trying to get yeah. back at her for that. Um, gotcha. So when this originally broke, this theory, um, there was, I think, on the Daily Mail. Yeah, the Daily Mail. Uh, there was a picture of them posted, and they listed Jack as five years older than Kaylee. Um, they actually started dating oh. in high school when Kaylee was, like, 16, I think. Um, so if he was five years older than her, that would put him at 21 when they started dating. And obviously there's some predatory behavior there. Yeah, because five years. I mean, she would have been in eighth grade when he was a senior yeah. in high school. That's – I know that's not when they started dating, but that's – like, that age difference is not – Yeah, so that was unsettling for a lot of people, but it's a rumor. Um, They, they went to the same high school at the same time. Oh. Yeah, he's not five years older than I her. I was like, wait a second. No, okay. not five years older than her. Well, that's good. Um, Another – Rumor was that blood was photographed on a kitchen cabinet through a window or blood was photoshopped onto the cabinet. There's these pictures. If you Google it, this will be probably one of the first pictures that pop up. Um, So on November 15th, Fox News Digital published photos taken through the kitchen window of the crime scene by freelance photojournalist Derek Shook. In the photo, a tabletop and a lower cabinet next to the refrigerator can be seen and both are clean. 
Okay. On um, December 1st, the Daily Mail published photos taken through that same kitchen window of the crime scene by freelance photographer Nathaniel Jones. In that photo, the tabletop is cluttered and dark stains can be seen dripping down the face of the lower cabinet. Okay. Um, there is also a photograph of a crime scene investigator in the kitchen looking up towards the ceiling. Um, and then that caused speculation that um, the dripping substance is blood that dripped from the ceiling from Kaylee's room above the police um, above and police cleaned it up. Others have speculated that the dripping substance in the photoshopped photo on the news uh, photoshopped onto the news photo. So somebody photoshopped it onto there is what the speculation is. Yeah, that um, would make because I mean for blood to go through you'll see a ceiling that's kind of crazy. <laughs> These were brutal crime yeah. scenes and it can happen, but that one was I don't know. So um so neither theories have been verified. Um reasons to believe the substance is not blood include that there was no substance dripped on the lower cabinet in the photograph taken 17 days prior. Mm-hmm. Um, some have suggested that the photos were withheld by the Daily Mail and are actually older than the Fox News photos. Um, the crime scene investigators have carefully kept the window coverings drawn on rooms with evidence. They likely don't want filmed or photographed by the press and gawkers. So, like, those main bedroom windows. Right. We haven't been able to see in there, obviously. Right. Um, there appears to be a coffee station on the counter above the drips. It's possible that this is coffee that's spilled over onto the counter and down the front of the cabinet. Um, Kaylee's room is suspected of being the room above the kitchen due to the letter M in pink boots in the covered window, um, of the other bedroom. So if you look at those, those photos, you can kind of see that the room that technically would be above the, uh, the kitchen, they'd think it's Kaylee's room. Um, and then it's unclear if the investigators, if the investigator who was photographed looking up at the ceiling or cabinet was photographed through the kitchen window or the kitchen slider, but based on the red evidence, marker tags on the frame it appears to be the slider the slider is on the opposite end of the kitchen from the cabinet with the drips if she's in the kitchen window she was looking towards her left from the window which would be above the sink or stove not above the cabinet with the drips so they've kind of repositioned that photo to make it look like she was looking somewhere where she was okay so that was completely photoshopped yes so some reasons to believe that the substance is blood would be um similar to suspected blood drips photographed on the exterior wall below xana's room which is blood yes um it's a valid point that the blood could have seeped through the ceiling um as it did in other places Mm -hmm. and then despite comments made by her father it's a valid point that it's not confirmed that kaylee wasn't killed in her room um which is believed to be the bedroom above the kitchen there's also speculation that a man in a black ski mask took a Snapchat photo or TikTok video of himself near the location of the house around the same time of the crime. And there is speculation um, that he is one of the surviving roommate's boyfriends. Interesting. Yeah. And were they able to prove that? Like, if that was... Uh, it's been disproven. Um, that was just somebody finding... A random Snapchat on the like geo map on Snap. Oh, I'm trying to make it something yeah. that it wasn't. Gotcha. Um, it says that there was a masked man caught on a doorbell footage entering the home. Not true. All the victims were killed slash found in bed or while they were asleep. That is also not true. So, oh, so that's not true. So they there were some that were not in their bed. But didn't they say they were most likely killed when they were sleeping? Yeah, that's what the coroner had said originally. Okay. Um, it's not true that Ethan was found in the kitchen or the hallway. It's not true that the victims were tied or gagged. Um, it's not true that one of the victims was decapitated or nearly decapitated. Um, 
it is not true that Kaylee was the target due to her significantly more brutal injuries. There was some speculation that Kaylee had it worse. Um, but like I said, we haven't seen official autopsy reports, so nobody right. can really confirm that. I think that is mostly speculation. Um, and the dad did slightly confirm something along those lines in one of the press releases. Uh, but he was really emotionally charged. And like I said, the, the police weren't giving them as much information as they were wanting. Um, so I think he was a little frustrated. Right. So can't really take that. Yeah. To the back or heart. It's <clears throat> also been disproven that Kaylee had a stalker. Um, other than we don't know, you know, exactly what Brian's motives were, but um, it was speculated mm-hmm. at the beginning that Kaylee had her own stalker, um, and that's been disproven. Okay. Um, speculation was that another student, Hannah C., was bullied by one of the victims when they lived in the same dorm, um, and the victims were targeted for revenge. That's been disproven or not proven in any way, so... Did she? I wonder if she came forward and said anything. I'm not sure. I didn't hear a whole lot about that. I think a lot of people, once they saw so many people getting, um, you know, like Jack, the boyfriend, getting drugged through the mud um, because of the speculation online, I think they were just trying to stay as far away from it as possible. Which I don't blame them. Yeah, I don't necessarily because that's. I mean, this is a people's lives were ruined. Yeah, this is a murder case. I mean, that's not something you come back from. Even if your name's even brought up and nothing comes from it, I mean, you're still involved somehow, some way. And, you know, the the internet itself is brutal. Yes, absolutely. That's why, yeah. As I said, just make sure you're getting your facts from an actual... Incredible source. Incredible source, not just, yeah. Um, It's also said that the front door to the house was wide open around 8.30 or 9 a.m. the morning after the crime, and that's been disproven. Um, there was also said to have been a scream saying, stop it, leave me alone, recorded by a neighbor. That was a hoax. Oh, okay. Um, and then people were like, well, why didn't the neighbor call the police? And why didn't the roommates on the first floor hear anything? Well, it's been proven that that stop it, leave me alone was a hoax. Okay, so that wasn't even a thing to hear. <laughs> yes. Um, like I said before, another one, hoodie guy, was. it's been disproven that he was stalking Kaylee and Maddie. And he was friends with them and was there for them for like a 12-minute period on the video talking to them. Um, this kind of goes into this other one. There was also, it was also said that Maddie on the Twitch video said, fuck you to hoodie guy. But, um, that didn't happen. No. <laughs> I mean, this uh, poor guy was literally probably just like someone yeah. they had in class and they were just like having yeah, a he quick was, conversation like, terrified. with other, like that poor guy. Anyways. <laughs> um, people were watching Kaylee take videos and photos on her phone probably for like Be Real or TikTok or whatever. Which and, is a normal thing. Yes. Yeah. And they were saying that she looked like she was uncomfortable and she was trying to take pictures of of him like make it look like she was taking a selfie but take a picture of him behind her oh like trying to like show someone that like she's... if you've heard of the delphi murders yes like that. yes gotcha um kaylee and maddie never spoke to hoodie guy that's not true um they talked quite a few times kaylee and maddie hurried away from the food truck because they wanted to get away from hoodie guy um that's also not true if you look maddie and kaylee were were drunk they were giggling drunk running uh they just gotten back from a night of partying you know, I run when I'm drunk, too. It's kind of yep. fun. <laughs> I do all kinds of random weird dance, things. Yes, I you. do. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> um, in audio from the food truck, Hoodie Guy says, she took my fucking jacket to Joe. Um, the jacket Maddie was wearing was later found in the bushes by the house. That's not true. Okay, so that was the jacket from the beginning that we were talking about. Yes. That was actually never found anywhere. Um, there was also talk that hoodie guy um oh my god from i know from the food (laughs) truck was uh jack s jack s was kicked out of his fraternity recently um just you know 
just a random guy that they thought that could be yep well i think he had some issues i don't know specifically and i don't want to go too much into it because this isn't about him and i don't know exactly what you know led up to it but um they said that he he had a temper um and that oh. he was recently picked out of his fraternity. So then a bunch of people were trying to say that that was him in the hoodie. Well, you know, I can get a temper too, guys. Me too. Uh, there was also speculation that he had refused to give DNA. Um, there was no documented evidence to support that claim. Um, on the night of the crime, Jack S. drove five hours to a family cabin near Boise. Um, no documented evidence was found to support that claim that Jack drove anywhere that night. Oh. Um, and by some reports, that came from a psychic. Yeah, yeah, you gotta be careful with that. But people on my Facebook group were, like, reaming him. Really? Yeah, so. Well, who are you guys in for it, guys? Yeah, and then it also, <laughs> it also said that Jack S. fled to Africa after the crime. What the hell? Yeah. Africa? Well, his parents were doing charity work, I guess, in Africa. Uh, so it's not that far-fetched. No, but like, also it is. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, the dog. So Kaylee had a dog. Named Murphy, a golden doodle, a mini golden doodle. Yeah, I saw pictures of him. He's yes, very cute. they shared him. Kaylee and Jack did. Kaylee and other Jack. And at that point, Jacks. and at this point, they're ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend. Yes. Correct. Yes. Okay. They were dating for a really long time, um, and he stood with the family at the vigil, um, oh and he God. has possession of the dog now, um, and has been involved in a lot of you know, efforts in um, the funerals and Good things like him. that. So. Okay. Um, Yes, they were technically broken up. I, like I said, I think because Kaylee was moving to Texas, they were trying to kind right. of... Right, so this wasn't like, I hate you kind of breakup. No. This was just like, hey, and you'll see we're kind of moving on in life. Exactly. But and like, I still care about you. On the night, I think, I want to say it was like 345-ish, mm-hmm. um, there was multiple calls placed outbound from Kaylee's phone to Jack and from Maddie's phone to Jack Aww. Uh, calling him. So... Interesting. They still talked often and they shared the dog still. Right, like custody of a child but less yes. crazy <laughs> exactly no court orders <laughs> no court orders um so there was speculation that the dog knew the perpetrator because it didn't bark um the dog had no blood on him the dog left no bloody paw prints and was taken from the house on the night of the crime by kaylee's boyfriend jack d um, according to kaylee's family the dog was not a barker and likely would have hid during the attack and according to police the dog was found in a room where the crimes had not been committed so there was a lot of speculation around did the you know killer let the dog out was the dog out in the yard running and barking um right no the dog was there he was in a separate room and he was unharmed and he did not have any dna evidence on him he didn't have any blood on him he didn't have he wasn't even in the crime scene technically he was in a different room okay all right um well i'm glad he was away from that yes and this whole dog barking situation i have pit bulls and a poodle and my poodle would bark and my pit bulls would not so i mean my dog would but i mean you can't just base i mean no. each dog's different and every situation is different and you really don't know i mean they're living beings they're gonna make their own choices they're gonna react a certain way so. exactly I, you can't base that off of anything no. there's some dogs that are terrified there's some dogs that bark at nothing there's some dogs that bark when yeah. they're excited um and my dog barks at me when i come to the door yep if even if he sees me but then once I'm in, it's fine. So, like, you can't just say, oh, he barked because he didn't know the person. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not really no, I've spent a lot of time with dogs, <laughs> and I have a lot of experience with them. And that claim of, well, he should have barked or, well, you know, golden doodles are, uh, you know, stand from a, a golden retriever, and they're really nice, mellow dog. No, I've had a golden retriever almost bite my face off. Yeah. Like, it, it, they're all different case. dogs. <laughs> yes. Case by case, guys. It's just, like, each person's different. Exactly. Can't put them in an umbrella. Um, there is photos of alleged blood dripping on the exterior wall of the house. Um, were confirmed to be heating oil 
uh, that's not true. Um, the raw news video of the location shows the substance was actually there, not photoshopped. Um, heating oil is dyed red, um, but it has the same viscosity as diesel gasoline and is translucent. Okay. Um, while zooming in, the substance appears to have been dripping down onto the top of a pipe and then from the pipe down the wall area, contradicting claims that the pipe was just leaking. So, okay. So, I think I've seen pictures of that and I didn't it's, know. It, to me, it's blood. I mean, it looks... They never came out and said it wasn't. It looks like blood. They're probably just waiting. Like I said, guys, this is still an ongoing investigation, so a lot of this stuff may end up coming up again, but seriously doubt it. Yes. Um, the victims had a neighbor named Jeremy R. He gave some interviews. Um, originally, people thought he was involved. Um, there's been no substantial evidence to link him to it. He's just an awkward guy. <laughs> like, he's just awkward. I feel like people are just, like, pinpointing. Just oh, random. absolutely. That's awful. That's why I want to take some time I'm to go through these too. things. Yes, like, these things that haven't been proven, <laughs> but people are like, oh, I heard this. Oh, I heard this, because they haven't had the time to sift through all of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I want to take some time to be like, no. Research before you go around and start throwing names yes. out or start throwing things. Reel like, it in. Yeah. Like, I get it's interesting. Like, obviously, we wouldn't be doing this if we weren't interested in things like this. Exactly. But, like, you want it to be factual. I mean, we're not just sitting here spitting out. And that's why I think – I don't know. I just think it's a good thing that we're going through all these because just just know where you're getting your sources from again <laughs> before exactly. you start saying crap and putting up people's, under like, names under the bus because in the end, I mean, it, it can skyrocket and it can get them in trouble when they don't deserve to be or they had nothing to do with it. So just be careful. Exactly. All right. Well, let's go to some confirmed things. Yes. Um, it is confirmed that a professional cleaning crew came in and started cleaning the house on Friday, December 30th. How many days after the murder was that? Um, so the murder happened November 13th. November 13th. Yes. Okay. So they had the crime scene up for quite a while. Yes. It's actually still up. Right. Well, they have to keep investigating. Um, the white Hyundai Elantra that was involved in the crash in Eugene, Oregon is not owned by the landlord slash property manager of, um, the King Street house. So the house where this happened. Um, they, in this group actually is where this stemmed from when they went on this big search for the white Hyundai Elantra, um, there was speculation that one that was wrecked in Eugene, Oregon, which is pretty close to Idaho, yeah. mm-hmm. um, was that car. It, it, it was weird. It was wrecked on the side of the road. I remember seeing it shortly after it was posted. I mean, they sent yeah. in the, you know, VIN number, sent tips to the hotline. It was ruled out. It was not their car. So that wasn't the car that was No, but it okay. was weird. The windows were smashed in. It looked like, um, there was like, it looked a hair. I'm assuming it was a woman's extension, um, in the back oh. seat. So it was weird. It was really weird. I wonder, you know, who knows? I mean, that could have just been a whole separate coincidence thing that happened but also i wonder if someone went out of their way to like make it part of the case when it wasn't i don't know if someone would ever go that far yeah i don't know i know it was sitting there for a few days though somebody really? doesn't just wreck a car and leave it you know yeah interesting okay yeah, yeah it was really weird okay but that had nothing to do with like the white Hyundai electron that they were actually looking no for. Okay. and i'm curious to know what happened to that one because like i said it was weird yeah did they start investigating what happened there because i don't know, <laughs> I, don't know. I know if a car was wrecked into a white pool near our house or in our area um, they wouldn't just leave it. <laughs> no, I mean, they get off the street pretty, pretty quick. Pretty It'd be impounded. Yes, absolutely. Um, so there was speculation that the 911 call was made because one of the surviving roommates ran outside after they'd seen what went on and fainted. And that's why the call was for an unconscious person. So, um, like, they were calling about the person who fainted. Who fainted. Out. And then they found... Oh. But that's not that's not what happened. Though. That is not what happened. Okay. Um, Kaylee was planning to go home to her parents on Tuesday, not Sunday. That's true. 
Okay. Um, some claimed that it was Kaylee's last night in town, and that's why whoever was stalking her came to do it then. Because she was going to be gone? Yes. Okay. Um, the 911 call said that one of the victims was suspected to be unconscious. It was not about one of the surviving roommates. So it was because somebody saw one of the bodies. Okay. Okay. I was like, because I didn't know what random person would just be like, oh my God. You know, there's still some speculation with these 911 calls and I don't, or the 911 call. And I don't know if we'll ever get to hear it, um, but there's a lot of back and forth there. I kind of hope we do. Yeah, I do I want to know what was said and what was going on because so far, I mean, that call is making no sense to I me. I wonder but... if we'll get to see, to hear more after the trial or if the trial will be, you know. Right. Publicly aired if we'll get to hear any more of that. Well, if it is, we'll definitely do a follow-up episode, and I will be watching that. Because sure. <laughs> that's insane. Be like the OJ of our time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, a man who threatened students with a knife on the University of Idaho campus in September is not connected to the case. So there, so was, there was another person? <laughs> yes. I think it was some guy running around on the campus. Um, I'm not to say that what he was doing was, in, you know. Innocent. Is, yeah. Not, you know, it wasn't okay, obviously. But I think he's just running around with, like, a pocket knife or something. Probably just some drunk guy. Probably. I mean, that, like I said. It's was, a college campus. Yeah. Um, when I went to college, a kid got stabbed behind my dorm room by his drunk friends. It was an accident. But, you know, things like that happened Jesus, college. what were they doing? Just, like, sparring? Apparently. I mean, sorry, this is off topic. But, yeah, <laughs> apparently, like, they were... Like, he dared him to stab him because he wanted to see what it felt like to be stabbed. And oh, God. he ended up stabbing, like, a major artery. Like, almost killed the guy. <laughs> he was okay, but, like, it was this whole incident. There was, like, ambulances. Yeah, it was insane. But otherwise, no. College is a crazy place. <laughs> College is a crazy place. Um, police intentionally released body cam footage from the night of the attack, asking for clues from the public. They did do that. Okay. Police went to speak to occupants of a white 2011-2013 Hyundai Elantra. Great. That's true. Uh, the white vehicle and the body cam footage from the police interaction with three intoxicated male students is not the white hand Elantra that police are seeking. So um, there was body cam footage of a separate incident in the area. Of three keep, drunk students. Yes. And, oh. yes, and, and they were not connected to no. this. Okay. Um, the attack was targeted. Yes. It has been proven that the attack was targeted. So this was specifically for one of them or all of them. Yes. We don't know a motive yet. Right. Um. Kaylee's boyfriend, Jack D., was the Jack who Kaylee and Maddie called several times before 3 a.m. on the night of the crime. So, yes, they did call Jack. Interesting. Um, police have interviewed Hoodie Guy from the food truck video. They did. He's cleared. Oh, poor leave kid. Hoodie, leave Hoodie Guy alone. <laughs> Guys, Hoodie Guy's innocent. Leave Let's Hoodie stop. Guy alone. Um, the perpetrator likely entered the property through the second floor sliding glass door at the rear of the house. So, if you look at the house and the way it's set up, um, it's... I don't know if it's been added on to. It's kind of weird. If you look at it from one way, it obviously looks like a three-story building. And then if you looked at it from the other way, it's kind of like some of the houses in the old neighborhood where our parents lived where, like, the basement is underground. But then as you oh. look at the front, it's not. Okay. Uh, so, so the back it, of the it house. almost, like, kind of slants a yes, little bit. Yes. The back of the house looked yeah. like it was only a two-story house on top of, you know, just that, ground. That makes sense. Okay. Um, times everyone arrived back at the house on the night of the crime have been verified. So those times, so the first two were there at one-ish, you said, and then the other two got there about, like, two. So the original surviving roommates got there around one. Um, I think it was Xana and Ethan that got there around 1.45. And they and were they, the ones that survived, because it was just... No, the two original surviving roommates are just uh, Dylan and Bethany. Right. And okay. then Dylan and Xana, Xana, I think is how you say it, uh, or not Dylan, I'm sorry, Ethan and Xana. 
So Xena lived there and Ethan was her boyfriend. Gotcha. Okay. They right. got there around 145. They were the one that was ones that went to the frat party. Right. And then Maddie and Kaylee got back around 156. They're the ones that took the rideshare home from the car. Right, because then they went to the, the truck. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um the suspect wasn't the creepy guy who was kicked out of the corner club on the night of the crime. In fact, no one was kicked out that night. So there was a rumor going around that there was a guy kicked out of the bar that Maddie and Kaylee were at. There no. wasn't anyone kicked out. There was no creepy guy. And honestly, even if there was someone kicked out of a college bar party, I mean, how often does that happen? So, like, I wouldn't read too much into that, even if that was the case. But exactly. I get I get it. You know, looking at all the options just to make sure these girls get justice. But All right. Well, let's take a break here, and then we'll go into the reading of the affidavit. Ooh. Yeah, let's go. There's also speculation that a man in a black... All right. So, we're going to get some answers to some things here um it's not going to be everything obviously it's an ongoing case but mm-hmm. reading this affidavit will clear some things up for you good because i'm still very confused about yes why you know why his dna was there what was going on how many people were actually there kind of thing so I you'll hope this will learn clear some things up yes you'll learn information and key points to some things and other things you won't and certain things are right. going to piss you off right i mean and like i said this like i mean like you just said this is still ongoing so who knows what else is going to be coming up and the next couple days, weeks, months. Okay, so this is the affidavit released just a couple days ago. The below information is provided by Brett Payne, who is a duly appointed, qualified, and acting peace officer within the county of Lada, state of Idaho. Brett Payne is employed by the Moscow Police Department in the official capacity or position of corporal and has been a trained and qualified peace officer for approximately four years. Corporal Payne is being assisted by members of the Idaho State Police and agents of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. On November 13, 2022, at approximately 4 p.m., Moscow Police Department Sergeant Bleeker and I responded to 1122 King Road, Moscow, Idaho, hereafter the King Road residence, to assist with scene security and processing of a crime scene associated with four homicides. Upon our arrival, the Idaho State Police forensics team was on scene and was preparing to begin processing the scene. MPD Officer Smith, one of the initial responding officers to the incident, advised he would walk me through the scene. Officer Smith and I entered the King Road residence through the bottom floor door on the north side of the building. Officer Smith and I then walked upstairs to the second floor. Officer Smith directed me down the hallway to the west bedroom on the second floor, which I later learned through Xana's driver's license and other personal belongings found in the room, was Xana Kernodal's hereafter Kernodal room. Just before the room, there was a bathroom door on the south wall of the hallway. As I approached the room, I could see a body, later identified as Kernodal's, laying on the floor. Colonel was deceased with wounds which appeared to have been caused by an edged weapon. Also in the room was a male, later identified as Ethan Chapin, hereafter Chapin. Chapin was also deceased with wounds, later determined by autopsy report provided by Spokane County Medical Examiner, dated December 15th of 2022, to be caused by sharp force injuries. And there is some information redacted on this page. Um, I then followed Officer Smith upstairs to the third floor of the residence. The third floor consisted of two bedrooms and one bathroom. The bedroom on the west side of the floor was later determined to be Kaylee Gonkov's hereafter Gonkov's room. I later learned from review of Officer Nunez's body camera there was a dog in the room when Moscow police officers initially responded. The dog belonged to Gonkov's and her ex-boyfriend Jack... I'm not sure how to say Jack's last name, so I'm just going to say Jack D. I found out from my interview with Jack on November 13th, 2022, that he and Gonkov's shared the dog. Officer Smith then pointed out a small bathroom on the east side of the third floor. This bathroom shared a wall with Madison Mogan's hereafter Mogan bedroom, which was situated on the southeast corner of the third floor. As I entered the bedroom, I could see two females in the single bed in the room. 
both Goncalves and Mogan were deceased with visible stab wounds. I also later noticed what appeared to be a tan leather knife sheath laying on the bed next to Mogan's right side when viewed from the door. The sheath was later processed and had a Kabar USMT, so United States Marine Corps, Mm -hmm. and um, the Eagle Globe and Anchor insignia stamped on the outside of it. Uh, The Idaho State Lab later located a single source of male DNA left on the button snap of the knife sheath. Oh, interesting. Very. So probably like a fingerprint or a hair or something. Yes, very minimal amount of DNA. As part of the investigation, numerous interviews were conducted by Moscow Police Department officers, Idaho State Police detectives, and FBI agents. Two of the interviewers included Bethany and Dylan. Um, Both were inside the King Red residence at the time of the homicides and were roommates to the victims. Um, Bethany's bedroom was located on the east side of the first floor of the King Red residence. Based on numerous interviews conducted by MPD officers, detectives, and FBI agents, as well as review of evidence, I learned the following. On the evening of November 12, 2022, Chapin and Kernodal are seen by Bethany at the uh, fraternity house on the University of Idaho campus at 735 Nez Pierce Drive from approximately 9 p.m. on November 12th to 1.45 a.m. on November 13th. Bethany also estimated that at approximately 1.45 a.m. Chapin and Kernodal returned to the King Road residence. Bethany also stated that Chapin did not live in the King Road residence but was a guest of Kernodal. Goncalves and Mogan were at a local bar, the Corner Club, at 202 North Main Street in Moscow. Goncalves and Mogan can be seen on the video footage provided by the Corner Club between 10 p.m. on November 12th and 1.30 a.m. on November 13th. At approximately 1.30 a.m., Goncalves and Mogan can be seen on video at local food vendor called The Grub Truck at 318 South Main Street in downtown Moscow. The Grub Truck has a live stream video from their food truck on the streaming platform Twitch, which is available for public viewing on their website. The video was captured by law enforcement. A private party reported that he reported a or he provided, I'm sorry, a ride to Goncalves and Mogan at approximately 1:56 a.m. from downtown Moscow in front of the Grub Truck to their home, the King Road residence. Mm-hmm. So the two surviving roommates both made statements during interviews that indicated the occupants of the King Road residence were home by 2 a.m. So all of them were home by 2 a.m. and asleep at least in their bedrooms by approximately 4 a.m. This is with the exception of Kernodal, who received a DoorDash order at the residence at approximately 4 a.m. Dylan stated she originally went to sleep in her bedroom on the southeast side of the second floor. Dylan stated that she was awoken at approximately 4 a.m. by what she stated sounded like Goncalves playing with her dog in one of the upstairs bedrooms, which were located on the third floor. A short time later, Dylan said that she heard what she thought was Goncalves say something to the effect of, there's someone in here. A review of records obtained from a forensic download of Kernodal's phone showed this could have also been Kernodal as her cellular phone indicated she was likely awake and using the TikTok app at approximately 4.12 a.m. I as well use TikTok at 4 a.m. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Dylan stated she looked out of her bedroom, but she did not see anything when she heard the comment about someone being in the house. Dylan stated that she opened her door a second time when she heard what she thought was crying coming from Kernodal's room. Dylan then said she heard a male's voice say something to the effect of, it's okay, I'm going to help you. That's creepy. Yeah. At approximately 4.17 a.m., a security camera located at 1112, so the next door, or across the street, I think, residence. Right. Um, immediately to the northwest, picked up a distorted audio of what sounded like a voice, like voices or a whimper, followed by a loud thud. A dog can also be heard barking numerous times, starting at 4.17 a.m. The security camera is less than 50 feet from the west wall of Kernodal's bedroom. Okay, so we definitely pick most of that up. Yes. 
Um, Dylan stated that she opened her door for the third time after she heard the crying and saw a figure clad in black clothing and a mask that covered the person's mouth and nose walking towards her. Dylan described the figure as five foot ten or taller, a male, not very muscular, but athletically built with bushy eyebrows. The male walked past Dylan as she stood in a frozen shock phase. The male walked towards the back sliding door. Dylan locked herself in her bedroom after seeing the mail, Dylan did not state that she recognized the mail. This leads investigators to believe that the murderer left the scene. It's so weird. So she saw him. It's so weird that this person just looked at her mm-hmm. and left her. Knew that she saw him and then just left. Right. That's so weird. Right. Which definitely makes me think, like, I know they said this previously, but that definitely makes me think that it was very targeted. And not even just to, like, all the roommates, but, like, to maybe one of them in general. And then some may have just been in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yep. Interesting. Okay, continue. I hope he confesses so we can hear some of these things. I I need to know. I would like to know. And honestly, the guy they have in custody right now does have really bushy eyebrows. So. He does. We'll see. The combination of Dylan's statements to law enforcement interviews of forensics downloads of records from Bethany and Dylan's phones and a video of a suspect video as described below leads investigators to believe that homicides occurred between 4 and 4.25 a.m. Okay, so they were home by 2, so this happened just a few hours later. Yes. Okay. During the processing of the crime scene, investigators found a latent shoe print. This was located during the second processing of the crime scene by the ISB forensics team by first using a presumptive blood test and then amino black, a protein stain that detects the presence of cellular material. Mm -hmm. The detected shoe print showed a diamond-shaped pattern similar to the pattern of a Vans-type shoe sole just outside the door of Dylan's bedroom, located on the second door. Or, I'm sorry, the second floor. Okay. This is consistent with Dylan's statement regarding the suspect's path of travel. As part of the investigation, an extensive search commonly referred to in law enforcement as a video canvas was conducted in the area of the King Road residence. This video canvas was to obtain any footage from the early morning hours of November 13, 2022 in the area of King Road of the King Road residence and surrounding neighborhoods in an effort to locate the suspect or suspect's vehicle traveling to or leaving from the King Road residence. This video canvas resulted in the collection of numerous surveillance videos in the area from both residential and business addresses. I have reviewed numerous videos that were collected and have been and have had conversations with the other MPD officers, ISP detectives, and FBI agents that are similarly reviewing footage that was obtained. Okay. A review of camera footage indicated that a white sedan hereafter suspect vehicle one was observed traveling westbound in the 700 block of Indian Hills Drive in Moscow at approximately 3.26 a.m. and westbound on Steiner Avenue at Idaho State University 95 in Moscow at approximately 3.28 a.m. On this video, it appeared suspect vehicle one was not displaying a front license plate. So this is, was this the Hyundai Elantra that they were talking about? Yes. Okay. A review of footage from multiple videos obtained from the King Road neighborhood showed multiple sightings of suspect vehicle 1 starting at 3.29 a.m. and ending at 4.20 a.m. These sightings show suspect vehicle 1 makes an initial three passes by the 1122 King Road residence and then leaves via Walenta Drive. Based off of my experience as a patrol officer in this is a residential neighborhood with a very limited number of vehicles that travel in the area during the early morning hours. Upon review of the video, there are only a few cars that enter and exit this area during the time frame. Suspect vehicle one can be seen entering the area a fourth time at approximately 4.04 a.m. I know. (laughs) It can be seen driving eastbound on King Road, stopping and turning around in front of 500 Queen Road number 52, and then driving back westbound on King Road. When suspect vehicle number one is in front of the King Road residence, it appeared to be unsuccessfully, unsuccessfully attempt to park or turn around in the road. 
The vehicle then continued to the intersection of Queen Road and King Road, where it can be seen completing a three-point turn and then driving eastbound again down Queen Road. What the hell? He's driving around, man. What was this guy doing? Well, obviously casing the house. He was about to slaughter people. <laughs> Literally. Um, suspect vehicle one is next seen departing the area of the King Road residence at approximately 4.20 a.m. at a high rate of speed. Suspect vehicle one is next observed traveling southbound on Willenta Drive based on my knowledge of the area and review of camera footage in the neighborhood that does not show suspect vehicle one during the time frame. I believe that suspect vehicle one likely exited the neighborhood. At a Palouse River Drive and Conestoga Drive. Palouse River Drive is at the southeastern edge of Moscow and proceeds into Whitman County, Washington. Eventually, the road leads to Pullman, Washington. Pullman, Washington is approximately 10 miles from Moscow, Idaho. Both Pullman and Moscow are small college towns, and people commonly travel back and forth between them. Law enforcement officers provided video footage of suspect vehicle number one to two forensic examiners with the Federal Bureau of Investigation that regularly utilized surveillance footage to identify the year, make, and model of an unknown vehicle that is observed by one or more cameras during the commission of a cr criminal offense. The forensics examiner has approximately 35 years law enforcement experience with 12 years at the FBI. His specific training includes identifying unique characteristics of vehicles, and he uses a database that gives visual clues of vehicles across states to identify differences between them. Okay, so this guy was just driving back and forth between both towns then. Yes. Well, and eventually, interesting. Okay. After reviewing the numerous observations of suspect vehicle number one, the forensics examiner initially believed that the suspect vehicle one was a 2011 to 2013 high-end Elantra, but mm -hmm. upon further review, he indicated it could also be a 2011 to 2016. So they, okay, so the year kind yeah, of Yeah, they expand, expanded that search a little bit. As a result, investigators have been reviewing information on persons in possession of a vehicle that is a 2011 to 2016 white Hyundai Elantra. Investigators were given access to the video footage of the Washington State University campus located in Pullman, Washington. A review of that video indicated that approximately 2.44 a.m. on November 13, 2022, a white sedan, which was consistent with the description of the white Elantra known as Suspect Vehicle 1, was observed on WSU surveillance cameras traveling north on Southeast Nevada Street at a north at Northeast Stadium Way. At approximately 2.53 a.m., a white sedan, which is consistent with the description of the white Hyundai Elantra, known as Suspect Vehicle 1, was observed traveling southeast on Nevada Street in Pullman, Washington, towards SR270, SR270, connects Pullman, Washington to Moscow, Idaho. This, so, okay, so it was that highway that connected the two towns. Yes. Okay. This camera footage was from Pullman, Washington, was provided to the same FBI forensics examiner. The forensic examiner identified the vehicle observed in Pullman, Washington as being a 2014 to 2016 Hyundai Elantra. So they narrowed it down a little bit more there. Well, that's good. At approximately 5.25 a.m., a white, side, white sedan, which was consistent with the description of suspect vehicle one, was observed on five cameras in Pullman, Washington, and on the WSU campus cameras. The first camera that recorded the white sedan was located at 1300 Johnson Road in Pullman. The white sedan was observed traveling northbound on Johnson Road. Johnson Road leads directly back to West Police River Drive in Moscow, which intersects with Conestoga Drive. Mm -hmm. The white sedan was then observed turning north on Bishop Boulevard and northwest on SR270. At approximately 5.27 a.m., the white Elantra was observed on cameras traveling northbound on Stadium Way at Nevada Street, Stadium Way at Grimes Way, Stadium Drive at Wilson Road, and Stadium Way at Cougar Way. Um, and then the affidavit includes some maps. Of this very confusing trail. I was like, this guy's just going back and forth, like, and doing random He got caught on a lot of cameras. Yeah, and, like, taking random turns and trying to turn around. That's weird. Okay. 
On November 25th, 2022, MPD asked area law enforcement agencies to be on the lookout for the Hyundai Elantra in the area. On November 29th, 2022, at approximately 12.28 a.m., Washington State University Police Officer Daniel, I think it's Tingo, queried white Elantras registered at WSU. As a result of that query, he located a 2015 white Hyundai Elantra with a Pennsylvania license plate LFZ8649. This vehicle was registered registered to Brian Koberger, hereafter Koberger, residing at 1630 Northeast Valley Road, Apartment 201 in Pullman, Washington. It is approximately three quarters of a mile from the intersection of Stadium Way and Cougar Way. So, not that far. So, yeah, pretty close. <laughs> the same day at approximately 12.58 a.m., WSU Officer Curtis Whitman was looking for a white Hyundai Elantra and located a 2015 white Hyundai Elantra at 1630 Northeast Valley Road in Pullman in the parking lot. Okay, so they did find one that yes. matched. Okay. Officer Whitman also ran the car and it returned to Coburger with a Washington tag. Um, I reviewed Coburger's Washington State driver's license information and photograph. This license indicates that Coburger is a white male of with a height of six foot and weighs 185 pounds. Hmm. Additionally, the photograph of Koberger shows that he has bushy eyebrows. Koberger's physical description is consistent with the description of the male DM, so Dylan, Mm -hmm. saw inside the King Road residence on November 13th. Further investigation includes a review of Lotta County Sheriff's Deputy Corporal Duke's body cam and reports shows that on August 21st of 2022, Brian Koberger was detained as a part of a traffic stop that occurred in Moscow, Idaho. Ooh. So in August, he was detained in a traffic stop, so. They already had. Yeah, and to be detained during a traffic stop, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, something had to be in your car or on your person or you were. Something made them uncomfortable. Well, yeah, I was like, the, they wouldn't just detain someone for a traffic stop unless it was needed. On October 14th, 2022, Brian Koberger was detained as part of a traffic stop by a WSU police officer. So, not... Okay. On review of that body cam footage um, and report of the stop, Koberger was the sole occupant and was driving a white 2015 Hyundai Elantra Hmm. with Pennsylvania license plate. Okay. On November 18th, 2022, according to Washington State Licensing... Uh, Koberger registered the 2015 white Elantra with Washington and later received a Washington plate CFB8708. Okay. So convenient that he changed it over then. Yeah. Uh, Right. Prior to this time, the 2015 white Elantra was registered in Pennsylvania, uh, which does not require a front license plate to be displayed. Okay. So I think in Pennsylvania or in um, Idaho and Washington, both you have to have a front license plate. Okay. So it's like we live in Kansas and that's not a requirement. We just have to have a license plate on the back. Investigators believe that Koberger is still driving the 2015 Elantra because his vehicle was captured on December 13th, 2022 by license plate reader in Loma, Colorado. Um, Koberger's. Yeah. Uh, Koberger's Elantra was then queried on December 15th, 2022 by law enforcement in Hammock County, Indiana. On December 16th, 2022, at approximately 2.26 p.m., surveillance videos showed Koberger's Elantra in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania. The sole occupant of the vehicle was a white male whose description was consistent with Koberger. Koberger's has family in um, Albrightsville, so he went back to see his parents, at least. I don't know if he has any siblings or anything, mm-hmm. um, but he went back to see them in Pennsylvania for the holidays. Okay, so that was confirmed. Yes. 
Um, as a part of the investigation, law enforcement obtained search warrants to determine cellular devices that utilize cellular towers in close proximity to the King Road residence on November 13th between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. After determining that Koberger was associated to both the 2015 White Elantra and the 8458 phone, investigators reviewed these search warrants returns. A query of the 8458 phone in these returns did not show that the 8458 phone utilizing cellular tower resources to close proximity of the King Road residence. So he he turned off his phone. Okay. Or didn't bring it. So at least, I mean, he kind of knew what he was... Well, I'd hope so. He's freaking studying criminology. See, if you have a doctorate in criminology... Well, not yet. Or, well, he was not, working, working on it. I mean, yeah. But that means you've already gotten that far into the program. I mean, that... Mm, that's interesting to me. Yeah. He also um, applied for an internship to, I can't remember what police department it was, but applied for an internship uh, during the summer to help them figure out how to utilize DNA evidence better. And just to throw another theory out there, if that's the case, do we not think that this was possibly not even like a true motive against, you know, these specific people, but... Just a power trip? A power trip or an experiment saying like, I know this much, so can I get away with it? Let's yeah. see. I believe, I believe it absolutely could be. That's scary. That's, ugh. So, to continue the affidavit, it says, based on my training experience and conversations with law enforcement officers that specialize in the utilization of cellular cell phone towers, uh, records as part of investigations, individuals can either leave their cellular cell phone at a different location before committing a crime or turn their cell phone off. This is done by subjects in an effort to avoid alerting law enforcement that a cellular device associated with them was in the particular area where a crime committed right. was committed. Right. I also know that in numerous, on numerous occasions, subjects will surveil an area where they intend to commit a crime prior to the date of the crime. Depending on the circumstances, this could be done a few days before or for several months prior to the commission of a crime. During these types of surveillance, surveillance, Jesus. <laughs> it's okay. I'm sleep deprived. You've been reading a lot. <laughs> sleep deprived. And yeah, I don't think I, like, I, I, I talked to a newborn who obviously doesn't talk back to me, so... <laughs> Um, not a lot of conversation. No, <laughs> no, not at all. It's okay. It's all right. Uh, during these types of surveillance, it is possible that an individual would not leave their cell phone at a separate location or turn it off since they do not plan to commit the offense on that particular day. Right. On December 23rd of 2022, I applied for and was granted a search warrant for historical phone records between November 12th at the, tw at 12 a.m. and November 14th at 12 a.m. So a little bit broader. Right, just to see if he was there beforehand casing without turning his phone off. Yes. Okay. On December 23rd, pursuant to that search warrant, I received records for the 8458 phone from AT&T. Uh, these records indicated that the 8458 phone is subscribed to Brian Koberger at, an, excuse me, an address in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania, and mm -hmm. that the account had been opened since June 23rd of 2022. Okay. The records also include historical cell phone location information for the phone. After receiving this information, I consulted with FBI special agent that is certified as a member of the cellular analyst survey team. Members of CAST are certified with the FBI to provide expert testimony in the field of historical CSLI and are required to pass extensive training that indicates both written and practical examinations prior to being certified with CAST and as well as completion of yearly certification requirements. Okay. So, this is their job. They do it a lot. Oh, yeah, basically. Basically what that means. <laughs> In short terms, they know what they're doing. Yes. <laughs> On November 13th, 2022, at approximately 2.42 a.m., the phone was utilizing cell phone towers that provided coverage to 1630 Northeast Valley Road, so where he lived in Pullman, Washington. Okay. 
Um, at approximately 247, the phone was using cellular resources that provide coverage southeast of the Coburger residence consistent with the phone leaving the residence and traveling south through Pullman. This is consistent with the movement of the white Elantra. At approximately 247 a.m., the 8458 phone stops reporting to the network, which is consistent with either the phone being in an area without cellular coverage, the connection to the network is disabled, or the phone is turned off. Interesting. Right? And you said that the cell phone towers were, I mean, it followed the path yep. of the So of up the until Elantra. that point, he was in the same place at the same time as that Elantra. Until he turned it off. Until he turned it off. Okay. The phone does not report to the network again until approximately 4.48 a.m., at which time it is utilized cellular resources that provide coverage to Idaho State Highway 95 south of Moscow. So, like, Idaho. right after the murders? Yes. Okay. Um, between 4.50 a.m. and 5.26 a.m., the phone utilizes cellular resources that are consistent with the 8458 phone traveling south on Idaho State Highway 95 um, to, I think it's Genesee, I'm not sure how to say it, Idaho, then traveling towards Uniontown, Idaho, and then north back into Pullman, Washington. Hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, Further review indicated that the phone utilized cellular resources on November 13th that are consistent with the phone leaving the area of Coburger residence at approximately 9 a.m. and traveling to Moscow again. So that same day. He went back? Yeah, he went back. Brave. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, the phone utilized cellular resources that would provide coverage to the King Road residents between 9.12 a.m. and 9.21 a.m. So he was right there. He was Not only did he go back to town, he, he went, went back to the house. Um, probably to see if he was going to get away with it or not. Yeah. Which I mean. Cocky son of a bitch. Yeah. If this is, I we should, more than likely, yes, this is the guy. <laughs> but if, I mean, I guess innocent. Innocent until proven guilty. Until proven guilty. But I mean, this is pretty... I mean, pretty hardcore evidence, but, I mean, yeah, just, yeah. On December 23rd, 2022, I was granted a search warrant for Koberger's historical CSLI from June 23rd of 2022 to the current prospective location information and pen register trap and trace on the 8458 phone to aid in efforts to determine if Koberger stalked any of the victims um, in the case prior to the offense. Um, or conducted surveillance on the King Road residence at all, or was in contact with any of the victims. Right. Um, on December 23rd, 2022, pursuant to that search warrant, I received historical records for the 8458 phone from AT&T from the time the account was opened in June 2022. After consulting with CAST, I was able to determine estimated locations for the 8458 phone from June 2022 to present, the time period authorized by the court. The records of the 8458 phone showed the 8458 phone utilizing cellular resources that provided coverage of the area of the 1122 King Street Road, or I'm sorry, King Road, on at least 12 occasions prior to November 13th. Oh. So he was hanging out. So he was casing. Yes. Okay. One of these occasions on August 21st. Um, the phone utilized cellular resources providing coverage to the King Road residents from approximately 10.34 p.m. to 11.35 p.m. At approximately 11.37 p.m., Koberger was stopped by Lauda County Sheriff's Deputy Corporal Duke, as mentioned above. The 8548 phone was utilizing cellular resource consistent with the location of the traffic stop during the time. Okay. For further analysts of the cellular data provided showed that the phone utilized cellular resources on November 13th consistent with the phone traveling from Pullman, Washington, to Lewiston, Idaho, via U.S. Highway 195. 
Okay. At approximately 12.36 p.m., the phone utilized cellular resources that would provide coverage to Kate's Cup of Joe Coffee, which is a coffee stand located at 810 Port Drive in Clarkston, Washington. At approximately 12.46, the phone then utilized cellular data in the area of the Albertsons Grocery Store in Clarkston, Washington. Um, at approximately 12.49 p.m., he uh, it showed Koberger exit the white Elantra, consistent with the suspect vehicle number one. Um, so they're just doing a lot of tying him uh, to this car, to these places he's been tracking his phone in the same, you know, right. place as the victim. So at this point, I mean, they've tied him to being, like, casing the casing that house for months beforehand. Yep. And then, I mean, and even recently before the actual murders. And after. And after. The same The day. morning after. As well as they were able to track his cell phone coverage with his car. Mm-hmm. Like, to an exact, like, exactly. Yep. Like, it was followed the exact They literally path. followed his car down the road. Until he turned off his phone. Yep. But then, when it turned back on, it followed picked the right same path. Picked right back on up where he left Maybe off. Maybe you aren't as smart as you think you are, buddy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, additional analysis of records for the phone indicated that between approximately 5.32 p.m. and 5.36 p.m., the phone utilized cellular resources that provide coverage to Johnson, Idaho, the phone then stops reporting to the network from approximately 5.36 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. This is consistent with that phone being in the area um, that the phone traveled in the hours immediately following the suspected time the homicide occurred. <laughs> so literally the time phone was, shut off. It was shut off during the exact time the murders occurred and then turned back on right after almost. Sure was. That's. Okay. On December 27th, <laughs> Pennsylvania agents discovered, or I'm sorry, recovered, not discovered. Recovered trash from the Koberger family residence in Albertsville, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. That evidence was sent to the Idaho State Lab for testing. On December 28th, 2022, the Idaho State Lab reported that a DNA profile obtained from the trash and the DNA profile obtained from the sheath identified a male as not being excluded as the biological father of suspect profile. At least 99.9998% of the male population would be expected to be excluded from the possibility of being that suspect's biological father. And it matched. It did match. Yes. Okay. So there is like a so 99.9998% <laughs> chance that it's him. Yeah. And if you guys know DNA or that, I mean, it, it's him. There's no denying that. So it concludes okay. with, based on the above information, I'm requesting an arrest warrant be issued for Brian C. Koberger, date of birth 11 1994 for burglary at 1122 King Street in Moscow, Idaho, and four counts of murder in the first degree for the murders of Madison Mogan, Kaylee Goncalves, Zana Kernodal, and Ethan Chapin. I declare under the penalty of perjury pursuant to the law of the state of Idaho that the foregoing is true and correct. Oh my gosh. That's a whirlwind. All right, so just to wrap some things up from that affidavit with some key points, because I know it was a lot and hard to follow, but I know a lot of people really wanted to hear everything that was in there without actually having to sit down and read that 18-page affidavit, so you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Key points. Uh, Zana and Ethan were both found in Zana's bedroom. Zana was on the floor. The dog Murphy was located in Kaylee's room. Kaylee and Maddie were both found in Maddie's room in her bed. A knife sheath was found in Maddie's room. The sheath had a Kabar, USMC, and the United States Marine Corps Eagle Globe and the anchor insignia stamped on the outside of it. The suspect's DNA was found on that sheath. Zana received a DoorDash order at approximately 4 a.m. Dylan was sleeping in the other second floor bedroom. Dylan woke up at around 4 a.m. and thought she heard Kaylee playing with the dog. Shortly after, she thought she heard Kaylee say, there's someone here. Zana was apparently awake and using TikTok at 4.12 a.m. 
Dylan stated that she opened her door a short time later because she thought she heard crying. She then heard a male voice say something to the effect of, it's okay, I'm going to help you. At approximately 4.17 a.m., a security camera located at 1112 King Road, a residence immediately to the northwest of the King Road residence, picked up a distorted audio of what sounded like voices or a whimper, followed by a loud thud. A dog can also be heard barking numerous times starting at 4.17 a.m. The security camera is less than 50 feet from the wall of Zana's bedroom. Dylan said she opened her door for the third time after she heard the crying and saw a figure clad in black clothing and a mask that was covering the person's mouth and nose walking towards her. The male walked past her as she stood in a frozen shock phase. The male walked towards the backsliding door. Dylan locked herself in her room after seeing the male. Investigators to believe the homicides occurred between 4 a.m. and 4.25 a.m. Investigators found a late shoe print outside Dylan's door. The white hand Elantra was discovered leaving the scene after a video canvas. Police tracked the vehicle using video from security cameras to leaving Moscow in the direction of Pullman, Washington. Washington State University Police Officer Daniel Tingo queried white Elantras registered at WSU. He located the white Elantra registered to the suspect. Meanwhile, WSU Officer Curtis Whitman was searching for the vehicle and spotted it parked in the suspect's apartment, apartment parking lot. After winning the plates, they saw that the suspect matched the dis description Dylan had given police. Police were aware of the suspect's research survey posted on Reddit. So I guess I forgot to mention that um, he was a PhD student at WSU studying criminology, and there was some really weird... I think you can still find it if you go look it up, so I encourage you if you want to, mm -hmm. to go check that out. But um, he posted a survey that was supposed to help a project, and the, the wording, the questions asked, it was all real weird. So he did post a survey before this for a specific project. Yes, for, for like school. For school. For school, yeah. Um, police were not able to trace his cell phone activity directly to the victim's house on the night of the crime. They suspected he had turned it off or lost service because they were able to track it as far as leaving Pullman close to 3 a.m. and possibly heading towards Moscow. However, the phone then resumed service close to 5 a.m. using towers that provided coverage to Idaho State Highway 95 south of Moscow. It was then tracked back to the area of the suspect's residence in Pullman. The suspect's phone was tracked through the cell tower records leaving Pullman, Washington, about five hours after the crime at around 9 a.m., pinging on cell towers in Moscow near the crime scene at 9.12 a.m. and 9.21 a.m. It was then pinged back in Pullman at 9.32 a.m. Law enforcement did find cell phone evidence that the suspect was in Moscow near the victim's house at least 12 times in the months leading up to the crime, including a traffic stop at 11.37 p.m. on August 21st, very close to the victim's house. Police did follow the suspect to a grocery store in Washington, but make no mention of him wearing latex or any other type of gloves to the store. Pennsylvania agents retrieved items from the trash at the home of the suspect's parents. DNA from those items was tested by the Idaho State Lab, which found that the father's DNA could not be excluded as being the father of the unknown male DNA found at the crime scene. According to the affidavit, at least 99.9998% of the male population would be expected to be excluded from the possibility of being the suspect's biological father. With the above evidence, the arrest warrant was requested. As it should have been. <laughs> so that's where we're at. So basically, they have all this evidence against him, and he's currently on trial and in court and awaiting. Yep. Okay. Yep, we're awaiting, awaiting trial here to see what happens. Interesting. Well, we will definitely have to post an update once this case gets closed or we get some more, you know, exciting information. And honestly, I need to start posting on Instagram anyway, so I will, um, I can start posting updates as well. If we don't want to do a whole episode. But. Yeah, we can get some of the main um, photos here that have been talked about. Some of the photoshopped ones versus the real ones. That kind of stuff. Get, yes. Get, get those posted on there. Um, but for now, this is what we know. And it was intense. 
It was long. It was chaotic. But just like the search for Brian has been intense, long, and chaotic. Yes. This is what we needed to do to break all this down. Well, I hope whoever did it is brought to justice for those poor kids. But I do too. Really sad ordeal. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning back in. We're happy to be back. And hopefully we will be back with a good conviction notice for these, you know, the justice justice of these poor college kids. And um, hopefully some more episodes soon. Yes. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.